It is a joy to be here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 26. Um, if you're a prayer warrior, pray uh, for energy for me. As many of you know that we are um, still experiencing jet lag for those who went to Israel with us. Um, it was an incredible time. I don't know, somebody told me that this would be one of the easiest messages I ever preached because I just spent 10 days in the Holy Land. Um, I don't think that I can share all that with you right now because if I tried to, um, we'd be here for a little while. So I just decided today that I would start with the first location we went to and maybe in five years we'll finish um, where all we went. We had an incredible time and we thank you all for your prayers. We thank you for... um, just praying for us. We prayed for y'all. We prayed for y'all Sunday morning. Uh, It's four o'clock in Israel right now, so if I do look tired, it's because I'm getting closer to the end of the day. But we prayed for y'all, and when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the last, uh, after everybody had kind of gone and prayed together um, individually or or with their spouse, then at the end we came together and prayed for Luke 4.18 and just for what God's doing here, and it was just an incredible, incredible opportunity. Um... A lot of uh, fun times and amazing things that took place that we would love to share with you over time. Today, we're going to be talking about Caesarea by the Sea. I call it Caesarea by the Sea because there's another place in Israel called Caesarea Philippi. And I don't want you to get confused of the two. Um, And so I've asked them to throw up a picture here of Caesarea. Uh, You'll see this on the screen. This is Caesarea by the Sea. So this is the Mediterranean that you see. Uh, This is a portion of the ruins that are left. Some of those have actually been um, slightly rebuilt. Um, In the next picture, you'll see the actual more of the ruins um, here of Caesarea by the Sea. Now, this was a port city that Herod built. Herod built this because he wanted, first off, he wanted a port, but he also wanted to show how incredible of an architect or how incredible of a builder he was. He actually tried to build this, or he succeeded in building this kind of into the sea. He wanted to show that there was no boundaries that could stop him. He was a madman when it came to being able to build and wanting people to see his expertise and his skills. Go to the next picture for me. These were the aqueducts that they built to bring water to Caesarea. Um, still there today. That's a picture from us just the other day. Not, none of us are in the picture. Um, and so here, uh, Herod builds this port city because he wanted everybody to know who he was. He wanted people to see how big and how awesome he was. Now in Acts chapter 26, we see... Um, Paul shows up on the scenes because he has now been arrested and he gives a defense to King Agrippa. He gives a defense of what's taking place right there. It actually says that he was in the auditorium, which we were in the auditorium. We got to go in there. Now, portions of that have also been rebuilt because they use it as an outdoor stage now. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that they had microphones and stuff there. But back in the day, 2,000 years ago, they allowed the wind from the Mediterranean to blow, and when the wind blew, it allowed the voices to go forth into all the auditorium, and there was no need of microphones. Now, many of y'all are probably sitting there in your mind going, wow, that's incredible. That's Herod. 
Like that's what he wanted people to see was how incredible and how awesome he was. Now in Acts chapter 26, we see starting uh, with verse 4, I'm going to read, um, let me go back to verse, uh, to verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am able to make my defense before you today. Especially because you are an expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then all the Jews know my manner of life from youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself, I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blasphemy. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So here we see Paul here at Caesarea by the sea, built by Herod as something that he wanted people to know who he was. He begins to give a defense and he starts by just letting them know who he was. The first thing I want you to see about Caesarea is this, that Herod built this so that people would know who he was. Herod built this because he wanted people to remember his name. Now today I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about the fact that people either have a message or they're building monuments. They either have a message or they're building monuments. Now let me explain to you. Depending on who your master is depends on whether you have a message or whether you're building monuments. So some of y'all may have just gotten it. It's 3M today. That's what we're going to do. 3Ms. Master, message, monument. So the first thing we see is that King Herod is building because he wants people to know. He wants to get the praise of men. Who is King Herod's master? It's ultimately himself that really is Satan. He's pushing King Herod to focus in on himself. It's all about me. I want people to know who I am. I want the praise of men. But Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says this. It says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of God. King Herod was so concerned about people's view and image of him that he continued to build and continued to grow and he continued to to show off his achievements so that he could gain the approval of men. You know, you may say, David, we don't see that that often. We see it all the time in our culture. How often do people try to amass things in their life so that they can feel like they have amounted 
to something. The people that we celebrate on TV is all these celebrities and all these people who have athletic abilities that's been paid all this money, who's able to drive these different cars and have these different houses. And all this, like the culture continues to worship these people. And as we have seen over and over in the last few weeks, so many of them who have built everything that you could ever imagine in this world have taken their own life because it didn't satisfy them. While I was in Israel, I can't tell you how many times I I saw this person took their own life, this person took their own life, this person. All of the people that I heard about were people who had amassed so much in our culture. And I heard somebody write a blog, or I guess I didn't hear a blog, I read a blog about how, isn't it interesting that though they have everything, they have nothing. And so here, King Herod is trying so hard to allow the praise of man to be what will give him the satisfaction for what he's looking for. Do you realize that the biggest deterrent to salvation, the biggest deterrent to salvation is not wanting to give up the things that you think that you've built? I can't tell you how many people, and you look at the statistics and they say that most people under the age of 18 are the ones who are coming to to Christ. And part of that, I believe, is because at the age of 18, you ain't got much uh, that you've supposedly in your mind built up that you have to lay down. But think about it. I have so many people in their older age of life that look at me and say, David, I just can't accept Christ because look at all that I have done. And they can't get over the idea that they didn't do any of that. And that God's asking them to lay that down. We see in Mark chapter 8 verse 34. And I know in the back y'all I gave you 34. But it's 34 through 38. And I'm going to read it in my scripture. In Mark 8, 34 through 38 it says this. It says, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. And then this verse that many of you have memorized, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my word, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We see here, let's go back to verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Look at King Herod. He gained the whole world. People looked at him even to this day. They, they, they just can't believe what he built. We went out to Masada and we rode a, a, a tram up or, or a cable car up to the top of Masada. Another incredible place that Herod built. Because he wanted people to know that, hey, there was no desert that could stop him. There was no sea that could stop him. He wanted the praise of men. But what did he truly gain? Nothing. Nothing. 
We see in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2, 5, and 16, all three of these verses, and we're going to read them, all three of these verses in Matthew chapter 6 says the same thing, that they had received their reward in full. It says this in Matthew 6, chapter 2, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, so that they may be honored by man. He's saying, hey, don't go out and give and say, hey, everybody look at what I'm doing. I want you to see, I'm giving today. I'm giving all this money today. I want, you to, I want you to all check this out. What does it say at the end? Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What's their reward in that moment? Simply whatever people think about them. That's it. That's their reward. The next one in, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse um, 5, it says this. It says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. What does it say? Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Hey, let's go pray, and I want to use big words and fancy things so that everybody can just be amazed at who I am. Can I just tell you that I have learned a long time ago that I'm nothing without Jesus. And so when people say, David, that message was great, I tell them all the time, it wasn't me. I have the best job in the world. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's me. That's what I always tell people. Because I understand and I get it that if I sit here and say, look at what I've done, my reward is in full right there. But when we walk in obedience and we realize that it's Christ in us that's, that's going before us and speaking, then what happens is God receives the glory because we couldn't have done any of it. In verse 16, it continues on of chapter 6. It says, Whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. I look at this and I realize what King Herod did is the same thing that the Pharisees were doing. They wanted people to see how righteous and how awesome and how great they were. And Jesus says, your reward is in full. What does it gain a man? To gain the whole world, to gain the appraise of, of 500 or 1,000 people, but yet lose your soul. It gains them nothing. So the first thing I want you to see today is that King Herod built so that people would see and know him he built monuments so that people would see him because his master was himself it was the prince the power of this world but the second thing i want you to see here in acts 26 we just began to speak it is that though we had herod that's one example here at caesarea by the sea who's all about himself then all of a sudden comes a man named paul but see, Paul's master wasn't himself. He had laid down his life for the kingdom of God. He had given his life to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so now his master is Jesus. And because his master is Jesus, what takes place? He's not building monuments. No, he has a message. He has a message. This message that we see here in his defense before King Agrippa, he starts with what I just read to you is where he once was. He once was dead. He once was persecuting Christians. He once was, was trying to stop the name of Christ. And then he goes on into verse 12. And let's read. Now he's telling us here in verse 12 what happened. He says this. 
while so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus when the authority and commission of the chief priest at midday, O king, I saw the way, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. Oh, I wish I could have been there. Brighter than the sun, shining all around me. Those who were journeying with me, and those who were journeying with me. In verse 14, And when, he had all, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying in a Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things of which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to the light and from the dominion of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. What a powerful moment. Paul begins, he has a message, his testimony. I once was dead. I once was persecuting the Christians. I once was a harlot to the king. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But then Jesus showed up in my life. And he says, something happened. What happened? Jesus opened his eyes and he became his Lord and his Savior of his life. This is his message. Can I tell you that whenever I read the scripture of Paul, excuse me, Saul on the road to Damascus and his name was changed to Paul, I always think this. There's nobody out there that it's too hard for God to bring to salvation. I think so often there's people that that I hear about or I see and I'm like, man, like, you know, in my flesh I say, you know, what are they doing? Like, they're so far away. Is Is it even possible? And God quickly quickens my spirit and says, Don't forget Saul on the road to Damascus. And for some of us in this room, God is putting on our heart that we need to be in prayer for those. We don't ever need to say, who are we to say that that person doesn't have a chance? We need to fall on our knees and cry out to God and say, listen, Lord, please allow this person to have a Damascus road experience. Let their eyes be open so that they will see you high and lifted up and that their lives will be changed from darkness to life, from death to life. We see where Paul was. We see what happened to Paul. We know in John 3.16, the scripture that all of us have memorized, we see the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, one of my favorite scriptures uh, in, the wor- in the Word, which I say that about every scripture, so I'm going to just say it again, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Paul is here sharing his testimony, the message of the gospel to King Agrippa. He's sharing with them what's taking place. It's very simple. He says, this is who I once was. This is what's taking place in my life. And then he says in verse 19, and this is who I am now. 
He says, so King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. He says, hey, I was changed and I'm not going to be disobedient. This is who I am now. I'm no longer a persecutor of Christians. I'm no longer lost. I'm no longer dead. Christ came. He saved my life. And my life is radically different. My life's been changed. He says, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout the regions of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. What does he state in verse 23? That Jesus was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is some powerful stuff. Paul, Saul, once was dead. Jesus entered his life on the road to Damascus. His life has been radically changed ever since. He gave up his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said that my life has never been the same. I love what he says in verse 19. I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. My life was changed. See, what we see here at Caesarea through Paul is that Paul, being a believer in Jesus Christ, as Christ being his master, Paul has a message. And that message is the gospel. That message is the gospel. What you don't see here is Paul going through every little nook and cranny of his life. No. He gives the simplicity of the gospel. I once was dead Christ changed my life because it's, no, it's not I, it's Christ who did it in me. Ephesians chapter 2, we see that, right? We know that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of our own, so that no man may boast. He says, hey, I once was dead. Christ did it in my life. He transformed me from death to life. And then he said, my life has never been the same. So let me ask you this question. How often do you Share the message that God has given you. How often do you share the testimony that God has given you? In the simplest form, here's my testimony. I once was dead. Christ made me alive and my life has never been the same. Now, when I go a little bit deeper, I tell people, listen, before Christ, I was a harlot. I had nothing to do with Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with him. Why? Because I was born a sinner. But praise God, when I was a young boy, as we were crossing over from I-10 to I-65, a transformation took place in my life. Riding with my mother in the car, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And my life has never been the same. Let me tell you, the greatest thing that we can do as believers is to share the testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ that's taken place in each of our lives. God didn't tell us, okay, you've been saved, now hide the message. No, He said, go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It even says that we are his ambassadors, that he's making an appeal through us. What's the appeal? The appeal is this. Look at my life. I once was dead. Now I'm alive. Not because of anything I did, but because of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you shared the testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ that's radically changed your life? I've shared with you many times, I'll share it with you again. When I was growing up, I heard the story, you know, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, shout it to the rooftops, uh, yell at people with it, tell them all, but if all else fails, use words. Because they were saying, let your actions show. And I agree with our actions should show, but the gospel tells us to speak the word of God. I don't want to use that illustration or that example as a cop-out not to open my mouth and tell people about Jesus. And let me just tell you, Paul was unashamed. The third point I want you to see, as we've seen that Herod tried to build monuments, Paul had a message. The third thing I want you to see is that Paul was unashamed. Man, he's being accused of all these different things. And here he has the chance to defend himself. And instead of going through all the accusations that they accused him and saying, okay, well, this is why this one's wrong, and this one's why this one's wrong, and, and let me, you know, this is why this... No, he said, let me just tell you what God's doing in my life. He was unashamed of what these people, these, these great prestigious people could do to his life because why? He had already given his life to Jesus. Many of y'all know the story of Jim Elliott, died at 28 years old. As he was sharing the gospel, he went into an uh, 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 unreached uh, group of uh, uh, a tribe that, that when he got there, they didn't quite understand what he was there, and they killed him. They took his life. His wife and them came back later and shared the gospel, and now many have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, but he makes this comment in his journal. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Let me just state that one more time. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep. He's no fool to give his life to Christ because he can't keep it. We can't keep it. He's no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What is it that we cannot lose? It's eternal life with Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have been sealed by the Spirit of promise. Jim Elliot was unashamed. And he sure wasn't afraid. Paul was unashamed as he pins the words in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Let me ask you this question. For some of us, we don't speak our testimony because we're fearful of what the culture is going to say to us. I shared... A couple weeks ago when I talked about identity theft and I talked about how the culture is trying to change the identity of the church so that the church would keep their mouth shut, I'm telling you, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we must proclaim it not being afraid of what they can do to us because they can't take what we've already given to God and that's our life. Somebody asked me as we went to Israel, this was several months ago, 
They said, are you sure it's safe? Are you sure that, that we're going to come back safely? And I, I, I simply said, I can't promise you that we're going to come back safely because I have no authority over that. Now, we came back safely, and it was an amazing time. And Israel is extremely safe. Don't watch the news. You're good. It's extremely safe. There was never one time over the last 10 days that any of us were nervous about anything. And I'll let the other 49 explain that to you in due time. But we have to understand... Too often we get fearful of the things that these people don't even have control over us, but we let them have that because of our fear. And God's saying, no. I'm unashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. Let me just ask you this question. Some of us, just being real, across America is fearful to share because of what could happen to them. But isn't it interesting that we're not fearful to trust Jesus with our salvation? But yet we'll say, God, I'm fearful to trust you with my own life. To me, it's a whole lot greater to trust God with salvation than simply our everyday life. And so God's saying, hey, trust me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. May the power of God go forth because of your boldness. Paul was bold as he stood before King Agrippa. And he said, listen, let me tell you, it's Christ. Jesus Christ died so that you may have life. And he shares his testimony. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 13-18, I want to read this. It says this, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to be blessed anymore. Let me read that again. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their their intimidation and do not be troubled. Verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Like, always be ready to give an account, to share your testimony. Listen, who I am today is not because of anything that I've done, it's because Jesus Christ entered my life. He changed me from death to life. And so you have to be prepared to give your testimony in the gospel when people ask, what is different about you? In verse 16, it says, And keep a good conscience, so that that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Is your life so above reproach that when people come against you, they're put to shame because of your life in Christ? That's what it says. In verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but he made alive in the spirit. Are you unashamed of the gospel? When you stand before the king Agrippas of today, 
when you find yourself before people who on this earthly realm have authority over you, are you still unashamed of the gospel to preach the truth as Paul was? I think about Paul and I understand that only 49 of you were with me the other day, but I think about that auditorium that we were sitting in and Paul standing there before all of them and just giving a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But see, Paul understood that his life was not his own. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I understand that's a hard verse for us to grasp because we look at the here and now. But as I said earlier, if we're going to trust God with our salvation, we also must trust God with our lives every day. For us to live as Christ, to die as gain. Many of you know that uh, a couple years ago, and I probably will never do it again, even though I should never say never, um, I ran an Ironman, 140.6 mile, and my wife and I were praying about whether I should run the race or whether I shouldn't. Um, never prayed about whether I should or shouldn't run the race with Christ, but the Ironman, I prayed about it. Um, and uh, she told me, she said, David, I'm good with you running the race as long as you promise me you won't die. And I said, okay, I promise I won't die. I get on the race, everything's going great. I get to the run portion, and many of you know that I had some major issues. I lost all my electrolytes. I go into shock. Somehow, by the grace of God, I, I rest for about an hour. I get up, I start walking, and I have like 16 miles left to go. Probably not a good idea, 16 miles with no electrolytes. But God began to give me strength, and I was walking. And the whole time, I was like, Lord, did I make the wrong decision? Am I, am I about to die? Am I going to die? I came home from that race and I asked, many of y'all know I finished the race with six minutes to go. Um, I think that the Lord was keeping me humble by making me uh, finish with uh, six minutes and not with several hours. Um, But I got home and I called my mentor and I said, what in the world? I'm not afraid to die. Why was I so afraid in that moment? And he said, David, you promised your wife something you have no authority over. He said, you have no authority over your life and death. And he said, that's the reason why you are so concerned. When you realize that we have no authority over that, and the one who does is the one who gave his life that you may have life, there's no fear. And we're unashamed. The next point I want you to see is that God turned a false accusation into a platform for Paul. God turned a false accusation into a platform for Paul. You know, many of you, immediately your mind is thinking about the scripture. He says that God works all things to good, right? Here we see Paul being accused of all these different things. And yet, instead of him turning that into, oh, woe is me, or I can't believe what's happening, he says, nope, it's a platform before some of the greatest uh, uh, people of, of, of stature that, that I could ever be in front of, and I'm going to share the gospel, He turns, God uses the accusations that's going on to give Paul that platform. In Romans chapter 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Now let me just kind of share some things that the Lord put on my heart here. Paul didn't go out seeking for a platform. Paul went out seeking to share the message. 
Paul was not trying to get before these men by getting thrown in jail so that he could say, look at me, I'm thrown in jail and and now I'm getting to stand before these guys and give a defense. No, all Paul wanted to do in urgency was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what he did was every opportunity that God placed before him, he shared the gospel. Many people today say, well, God, I'm trying so hard to get a platform so I can share the gospel. God's given you a platform every single day. At your work. At your school, young people. At college. With your friends, with your family. But too often we we begin to, to, to humanize it a little bit and say, well, if I just had that platform or if I could just do this and, and, and I've, I've almost got the opportunity to stand before these great people to share the message. No, God has given you a platform every single day. And another thing I want you to see here is that Paul wasn't trying to prove himself by saying, well, I'm going to get thrown in jail so I can share the gospel. But he was thrown in jail a couple times. Why? Because he was sharing the gospel. Paul wasn't trying to prove who he was spiritually. And I don't want anybody to ever get beaten up by the evil one saying, well, if you won't go do that, then, then obviously you don't believe in Jesus. Listen, we need to share the gospel every day on the platform that he's given us. I never in my wildest dream thought years before and even when I ran the race of the Ironman that God would give me the opportunity and the platform to stand before different school teams of of soccer and, and track and field and all these people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. My goal was simply to share the message that I once was dead and now I'm alive. God gives Paul a platform though people were trying to accuse him. Can I go even a little bit further and show you that King Herod built this port city because he wanted to build a monument for himself. And isn't it interesting that God used that port city to allow Paul to go out on missionary journeys to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Guess what? We're Gentiles. So what was built out of selfish gain was used for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the message to be proclaimed. And we see, because he turned this into an opportunity and a platform for him to share the gospel, we see their response, or we see Paul's desire in Acts 26, verses 28 and 29. He says this, Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. What a powerful statement by Paul. He's not saying, listen, I'm, I'm only here to speak to you. No, I'm here to speak to anybody that's listening. And my desire is this. As I share the message of Jesus Christ, that all will come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the first thing we see is Herod was trying to build 
for himself to let people know who he was. The second thing is, is that Paul had a message. That message was the gospel, the transformation in his life. The third thing we see is that Paul was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing that we see is that Paul, that God, excuse me, turned false accusations and gave Paul a platform. Maybe God's turning things in your life that you say, how in the world are you using this God? And he gives you a platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the last thing I want you to see, and this is where it gets really, I just want to shout. Um, I, I, just, I, get, I get so excited. But the last thing I want you to see is this. Go back to those pictures for me. The first picture, first three pictures we have here is of... Caesarea by the sea. Like I said, a lot of that is ruins. They've built some on top. And that part over there is a little museum area actually. Go to the next picture. You see some of the ruins there. Go to the next picture. You see the ruins of what was left of the aqueducts bringing water into the city. And here's what I want you to see. King Herod's master was himself. He was all about himself. Ultimately, the prince of the power of this heir, Satan himself. And he built because he wanted people to know who he was. And all that's left is ruins. But here's the powerful moment. Is that Paul comes and preaches a message. The gospel. And the gospel is still here today. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, 40 verses 6 through 8, it says, and the voice says, call out, then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all the loveliness is like the flowers of the field. Verse 7, the grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. In verse 8, it says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let me ask you this question. All the monuments that you try to build in this culture will fall. They will not last. But the word of God and the message that he's given you on the platform that he's called you to speak it, it will stand forever. So when you look at Caesarea, what do you see? Do you see the monuments that you're trying to build that ultimately someday will be destroyed? Or do you see the message that God's given you to proclaim that will always stand? There's one other picture I want to show you. We went up to Caesarea Philippi later that day. And this is a picture from it. This right here is ruins. And by the way, this was a very pagan area. Very pagan. In this area is where Jesus said, uh, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And what you're looking at right here is actually ruins of where they worshipped the God of Pan. Little G, by the way. To the left of this that you can't see going in was a cave that some people even believed was the gates of hell. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And what he was saying is, is that amidst this pagan culture, I will build my church. And the church, the gates will not stop the, the church, the word, the message going forth throughout the world. 
But what I want you to see right there is that all that's left is ruins. All throughout Israel, for 10 days we traveled. And guess what we saw? Ruins. Ruins to false gods of Baal, or as they say, Baal, Asheroth, Pan, even a temple to Caesar. All ruins. But the word of God still goes forth today. So let me tell you, church, who's your master? Is your master the evil one who's telling you to to build all that you can in this world? It says in the scripture, what does it gain a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? This right here will stand forever. 2,000 years later, and actually that, that, that area of Pan is even much longer, or much farther back than 2,000. But 2,000 years later, we stand, and the Word of God still stands today. Amidst the culture trying to shut it up for 2,000 years. But let me tell you something, it will never stop the Word of God. And so... Are you ready to share your testimony? Are you ready to share the message that God has transformed your life? Because let me just tell you, He's calling you today to share that message. He's calling you today to share the gospel that has transformed your life. And so I ask you in closing, are you building monuments? Are you spreading the message?